0: Hola. This is a podcast for those people that are always feeling like they're in the middle. People that struggle with the many dualities of this world. Because we aren't just one thing, we are multifaceted and complex. I am Sharon Cox, and you are listening to Look Who's Tucking. Hola, welcome back to Look Who's Stuckin'. If you are new, sean muy bienvenidos. I am Sharon Cox, your host. And today we are talking about Latinidad. Um, we have a very special guest with us today, Gabriel, a good friend of mine. Gabriel is a local organizer in our community that has worked on several issues impacting the LGBTQIA community, especially the Latinx Latin community. Welcome, Gabriel, to Lucas What's
1: up, Sharon? So <laughs> I got to say, I don't feel like a very special guest because I know you. you um, very special to me. You know me, so I'm like a special i'm just a a special guest. i think I
0: hi think... everyone <laughs> it's like hello 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 everybody uh no hi, i everyone. think you're very special i think that um you know in the time that i've known you every time we have a conversation we, i learn something so uh that to me is special that's one of the biggest things that i look on friends is being able to um have meaningful conversations that actually impact each other's life and we get to learn a little bit most of the time i learn to from you com- though
1: to be completely fair. Every time that we have a conversation, it's like after 9 p.m., I've been drinking, you're tired from performing. And so we have our conversations around what's going on in the community when we're just tired as hell.
0: One of my favorite uh, so things is being- I'm glad
1: I'm, I'm energized right now. <laughs> Listen, I,
0: I, one of my favorite things is being at the club. We're both tipsy. I'm still in drag. And it's just you and me in a patio in some, some bar in Birmingham. Talking about the community and things that are bothering us around us at the moment in total Spanish or in Spanglish, and people like wanting to walk up to us and just kind of looking at us with this weird like they're speaking Spanish. What has <laughs> Yeah, colonizers be like that. Colonizers be <laughs> colonizing. <laughs> So today I want to talk about Latinidad. Uh, for those who are listening that don't know what Latinidad is, Latinidad is an umbrella term that just pretty much covers up pretty every single culture in in the Latine uh, experience. You have Puerto Rican roots. I have Venezuelan and Colombian roots. So like everybody has a different background, but um, Latinidad just kind of gives us that one term that we can all recognize and kind of see each other in and, and kind of create our little... Um, Latine Mafia.
1: Yeah, and to illustrate it, I'm going to ask you how do you say glasses in Spanish?
0: Glasses? Oh my, lentes. Yeah, lentes.
1: lentes. Mm-hmm. In Puerto Rico we say espejuelos.
0: Espejuelos.
1: Yep. So there we go. That's like the broad variety of Latinidad right there. I know how do you right? say and the, straw.
0: straw? Okay, straw is one. Uh, in my in my Spanglish episode, I talk about uh different words that like only Venezuelans have and one of them in venezuela is a straw and it's pitillo
1: that's a weird word for me it's um sorbeto
0: sorbeto uh i've heard popote i've heard uh, sorbeto Uh i've heard there's another one i think in ecuador they have a different one but pitillo is such a like venezuelan thing and the funny thing is that pitillo i think in ecuador is a bad word uh it's penis (laughs) <laughs> it's 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 that. oh well how do you say popcorn
1: oh i'm puerto rican so you know half of our spanish is actually english uh-huh yeah. so i didn't i know it's called palomitas everywhere mm-hmm. um but we call it pocon
0: pocon okay so let me tell you a little story <laughs> about how venezuelans decided to just make this word and drag we put a wig on it we put lipstick on it and 301 lashes baby we call it cotufa cotufa Cotufa. And that comes from when we got the packages of popcorn from the Americans, from, from the United States, the instruction said corn to fry, corn to cotufa. fry, Sorry. cotufa, <laughs> and it's state cotufa, yeah. and we're the only country that. that calls them cotufa. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Oh, so, yeah. So, I mean, that's Latinidad right there. That is literally <laughs> what it means. It's It's having some sort of connection without with all these different things and our, our diasporas just kind of go different ways, but they all come to one center. And I absolutely love that. So tell us a little bit about you and uh, growing up Latinae and queer, by the way, you're queer. You're by the way, he's queer. Everybody is queer. Oh, wait, wait, I have to do something first. I'm learning. This is only my fifth episode. I have decided that I wanted to do the structure where I asked people their pronouns. And I have not done it, uh, so you. So going to I want
1: speaker. you. I want you to actually keep this in the podcast. Mm-hmm. You said he, and I know I'm mask presenting um, most of the time. I use they them pronouns. Yes. Um, for me, it's for a variety of reasons. Some of them gender, some of them culture, some of them just so many things. Mm-hmm. And so I love how you called me he. And like the thing is, our language is so gendered that it's easy to fall into that. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, my name is Gabriel, I use them pronouns. If you can't say Gabriel, good luck to you. Um, my nickname is Gabriel and I was born in Puerto Rico Mm -hmm. and we moved here when I was about three or four. I feel like it gets, I get older and older. The older I get, I'm like, oh, I was five. Oh, I was six. It was about three <laughs> At some three point, you're going
0: to be 25 when you're
1: Right. And my parents moved here. They were one of the first ones to move here. So we had family that followed us here, but we moved to New York for a little bit, maybe a few months. Not like New Yorkers who live there. And then we moved to North Carolina. And most of my family lives in North Carolina. My mom, my dad, extended relatives. Uh, and my grandmother lived there, and you know, she recently passed. But I grew up in a very, very Puerto Rican household. There, so I have a partner who is white and American and deep south, like Bessemer, Alabama. And there are parts of like their upbringing that I just don't understand, or cultural hey. <laughs> moments that they're very, they just, it's very important to them. And I'm like, you know, it's very important for you to understand that I grew up in Puerto Rico, basically. Yeah. Like, I grew up in a Puerto Rican household, and I came out as queer when I was 14. So I, next year, I half of my life I will have been in the closet, and the other half I will have been out. So I'm like a grandfather, mother, gay uh, for real. Like, I, I've i been in this forever. And it was an interesting journey. But yeah, Puerto Rican, Puerto Rican as fuck. That's where I learned to cook. That's where I learned music. I can't dance. So please don't judge me. I want to learn, though. I'm committed to learning. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's a little bit about me, North Carolina.
0: Well, see, one of the things that I love about every time that we talk is that we have you know we come from different parts of the world they're still caribbean uh, countries um but you're right i know are you from the caribbean coast of venezuela um no oh i'm sorry about that i'm sorry i know there is no so video close. on this podcast but if you would have seen my face the disappointment of like so close no. um i was i i was born in valencia which is farther central And then I actually moved to Caracas, which is literally divided by a mountain from the coast, uh, from the Caribbean coast. So my family is from a Caribbean area of Colombia. So that culture was still there when I was growing up, especially when I went to my abuela's house. But I never really like came in touch with my Caribbean roots as much as I would have been if I was from from one of the islands. Right. Um, Because I was deeper into the center of the country, I guess would be the word. But that's one of the things that I love about about talking to you is that uh, not only we come from countries who have Korean culture embedded into their culture, but also our partners are super, super, super Southern and super, super white. Um, So your
1: listeners can't see me, but I I shook my head like in shame when you said our partners are white. (laughs) It's also worth saying that I'm poly. So like one of my partners is well. One of
0: your partners is yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's one of those things where um, you, you and I can actually identify in those moments when we're like, okay, like that's important to you. I get it, but I'm like, I'm not as excited about that one southern tradition as much as you are. Also, another thing is that from a very young age, especially from Latinx communities uh, or Latin A families, um, we are we are literally chipped to to learn how to cook, to learn how to be. Be, um a pillar in the family um to be dependent you're dependable i guess um of of all of our family members and and you see that in a lot of hispanic and latin a communities because like you know we always talk about like oh yeah no and in in my case in venezuela like adults don't move out of their parents house until they're like 28 or 30 and that's seen normal and over here 18 see ya i got me a roommate i'm leaving so those cultural shocks that, that, you know, even, even when you moved here, when you were very young, you were still raised in a a family. So those, those things, I, I don't know, was that, was that something like that in your family where kids normally stay in their parents' house for a very long time? No, 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 they've, they've pretty much all left the
1: nest. I'm also thinking about how you said, like, cooking, cleaning, all of that. I was the oldest kid and so I took the brunt of my parents trying to figure out how to parent.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: so part of that for me was definitely them teaching me to do laundry. I learned how to do laundry before I came out. I know some people don't know how to do that until later in life. Um Ironing. I learned how to cook before I came out. Right. I learned how to pretty much do everything in a home uh before I was 14, like 12, 10, maybe younger. And Once I learned that, I feel like my siblings didn't learn that, or there wasn't as much pressure on them. So Mm -hmm. there's several years, about four to five years between me and my younger siblings, and they didn't really have to learn that. Then I come from a blended family. So my stepmother is is Mexicana. Mm -hmm. And so I grew up, since I was seven, I've grown up in a house where Mexican and Puerto Rican cultures have blended quite a bit. And from that side, my stepsisters learned how to cook and clean and do all of that. But my stepbrothers did not. And that's just really interesting, right? I think it's an age thing. I think it's like a migrant thing, right? Like mm-hmm. we migrated when I was young. They were young. They were in their 20s. And you they had to catch me up essentially to be able to help because there wasn't that much family here, like yeah. I said earlier. And as I grew up, things changed a little bit. And you also said something about Southern culture Mm -hmm. and there are parts of it that I don't understand in particular. I think it's American culture overall. I don't understand your pop stars. I don't really understand your fascination with some of the music. I I haven't seen your like cultural moment movies. That's just like, that wasn't what I grew up with, right? If it didn't happen before I was in college, if it happened before I was in college, I did not probably participate in that. I didn't drink until I was uh, 19. I had my first drink in college, and then I didn't actually properly drink until I was 21. It's these different ways in which like that, at the same time, is neither American nor Latino because we drink at an early Mm -hmm. age. and It's like you're around a lot of alcohol in not a bad way, but it's just not as stigmatized. But Southern culture was easy to assimilate because there are so many similarities between, I guess, some of the cultural values of of being Latinx and the cultural values of being Southern, Mm -hmm. like respecting elders, even though I have no respect for anyone who has no respect for me. That's that's a me thing, that's not a cultural thing.
2: Oh, honey.
1: Like politeness, (laughs) right? Things like cleanliness, things like the importance of food just think the importance of family, family and keeping yes. family close together, just all of these things, they were easy to absorb in terms of Southern culture. It was the American bits that were hard. I don't know how to distinguish, but mm-hmm. when you think of Southern people, the politeness, just all of those little Southern things that are different from North or the West, those were easy. But when I think of like, when I think of just, I'll, I'll give an example Bradley, right now, is, uh, Bradley's my partner, and they're obsessed with Kylie Minogue right now. They're like listening to All My Lovers, I believe it is. Mm-hmm. And I told him, I was like, you know, I think I heard the Spanish version of this before I ever heard the English version. And I didn't even know who the singer was, right? Bradley's like, oh, this is an icon. And I'm like, you could have fooled me. <laughs> so I think that really illustrates just like the division where there was this intersection that we I did not know was part of their culture. Mm-hmm. They didn't know was part of, I guess, something, because I don't know how I know the song. But yeah. It's very different well, and also now very that, now similar. Now that you
0: mention the this, the singing, the, the songs and stuff like that, it reminds me of, believe it or not, the first time I ever heard I Will Survive or the only version I knew of I Will Survive was Celia Cruz. Yo sobreviviré. And I was like, when I heard it in English, I was like, who is this? And they're like, it's the original from like the 70s. And I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> Celia Cruz, acuesta canción en el 2000 tanto. Así que no me va <laughs> So it, oh, God. It, that's, that's such a such a such a crazy thing that like it's the same thing with like NSync all i knew about NSync was that one song um that they did uh, Yo te voy amar, uh, um um what is the english one yo te voy amar cuando sientas tristeza oh uh, you know, Sharon I'm, i think I'm showing my age cuz there's a difference here too right yes. you're looking I at me like I, I was not born at that point um <laughs> uh,
1: not only was i not crazed about boy bands because I guess we were fresh migrants off the boat. Uh, but off in sync, boat. I don't even know when they were famous. I feel like I was six or something. I, but for
0: some reason, that one song was super famous in Venezuela. So, one question that I do want to uh, dive into a part of the, uh, of the episode is religion. Because I grew up in a very religious home. My father being a minister, my mom being a deaconess in the church and music leader and yada, yada, yada. How did religion play a part in your life? And not only that, but how did it play a part in your queerness once you came out?
1: That's a great question for a few reasons. My dad was also a pastor for a time. My mom was never. My parents were divorced when I was seven mm-hmm. and we did not have a strong religious background at all that wasn't really you know we didn't we didn't really go to church that often. I think we skipped around to different churches when I was younger, but it was not something that was consistent and my dad converted to Christianity when I was around the same time that I came out. so when I first came out, right those first few months, my dad's biggest concern, and I remember this this moment so clearly I came out and I did it I did it kind of I've learned to communicate more directly. But I basically was talking loudly with a friend about a boy that I thought was really cute and I was hoping my dad would hear me and then he pulled me to the side and he was asking me, like, are you gay? And I came out as bi. Then I came out as gay, but it turns out I'm queer because, you know, if you put it in my face, Absolutely. I'm going to eat it. That's my sexuality. <laughs> and my dad the next day he looked run through he he just looked so tired he was in bed and he was like does that mean you could see yourself sucking a dick and i looked him straight in the face and i said yeah.
0: yeah yeah yes yes dad and
1: he worked really hard early on to like connect with it and he was drawing from these different places to to try to make me feel comfortable which was so interesting now that i god you're bringing up memories my dad would talk about his time in jail and like the gay people in jail and he would talk about his friends when he was younger and my mom did the same thing she would say yeah i hung around all the queer kids when i was younger uh, and my mom even came out as as bi to me when I was when I had first come out as well. So it seemed like it was going to go well, mm-hmm. right? I feel like I'm disclosing a little bit too much of my family <laughs> history here. My dad converted to Christianity later in life after a, just a, a very long history of him being very a very abusive partner. I'm going to get to the religion part, but it's it's worth saying that my first date with a boy, mm-hmm. he had a lisp. I think that's important because I remember when I was growing up, the stereotype was that gay people had lisps,
2: Mm -hmm, but he
1: had a lisp. And we went to the movies, but my mom and my stepmom went to the movies together, too, because my stepmom was staying with my mother because my dad, you know, had one of his abusive episodes. Wow and i'm talking biblical. so they were for a short time my stepmom has always been my stepmom the only difference is who she's been dating <laughs> among my two parents
0: so, Esto es una telenovela.
1: <laughs> i know so that was the the year in which i came out when i was 14. this was all going on in my life and then there was a big shift so my father became a christian and we i mean we weren't raised catholic i've never really been catholic i have no issues with catholics one of my um, best friends and mentors in North Carolina is like this grungy, like, doesn't give a fuck Catholic, you know, like mm-hmm. the nuns who, who are activists. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that just wasn't my experience. Instead, my dad decided to convert from no Christianity to five-hour church.:
0: Wow. You
1: know what I mean? Like I'm... get up at six in the morning, show yeah. up, you're there from seven to twelve the whole, and then you go eat. Right. And mm. I mean, like charismatic, like dancing, singing, singing, Hamala, 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 Hamala. Right. Hamala, Kamala Harris, like all day. Hamala, Hamala
0: right? Harris. Hallelujah.
1: It was like, <laughs> it was honestly just, I wouldn't say it was a shock, but I, I felt this overwhelming sense of responsibility to lean into it and make my dad proud, especially because my dad was still recovering from being like, you know an abuser
2: mm-hmm. and
1: so there was still also that more history of abuse than there was history of him not being abusive so over time you know it got intense religion on my dad in my dad's home became very very significant he was very interested in reading the bible all the time and he changed from this i'm supportive of you this very conservative person particularly so when people say people talk about oh i was raised in a religious household you know but i i think it's important to say like when i would be with my dad and at his home it was always pointed out that being gay was a sin and that there was something you could do about it yeah and when you're a teenager being told that this part of you is something that you can change and feeling like for the next four years Right. You have to change that thing if not, you're a failure and you're disappointing your parents. That's what it was like. And even though it was bad, right, it mm-hmm. was bad. It was not a pleasant experience. I had like an ex escape counselor from the other church that we ended up going to so many things, something that like that, the, even though that environment was harmful my environment with my mother, which was Mm non-religious, was much more harmful, physically, emotionally, all that. So I chose actively to move out of my mother's house into my dad's house for the last year and a half of high school. And I was steeped in it. I was steeped in the Christianity, the charisma. I remember just... Trying to honestly, trying to pray away the gay, but yeah. I think that just oversimplifies it. Because saying "pray away the gay" sounds like you prayed one night and you were like, "Please turn me straight." But this is like a every moment of your life is you trying to show both to your parents and to God, right, into the this, church in this religious belief, <laughs> and to the church that you are not gay and that yeah. you are straight. And what sucks is that my parents used my dating history against me now i said i'm queer and there have been some beautiful women in my life Mm -hmm. uh, cis women in my life and like they would use that against me to be like but remember when right in college my first year in college i took a class called writing through evil it was really interesting we wrote three different papers the first one was autobiographical and it was a self-reflection on uh evil within our own life and i wrote four scenes from my life where my parents were homophobic and i sent it to my dad and that was the moment so when i was 19 i had a very like open relationship with my dad even though he was harmful for a part of my life Mm -hmm. still have a very open relationship with my dad where i talk i can talk about anything i sent it to him and that is what for him clicked and changed his approach to religion and his approach specifically to me and my sexuality in relation to, uh, and, and his like religion. So much so now that I have two sisters who are bi. I have a brother who's trans, right? He jokes all the time that I went through hell in order to pave the way for them. And <laughs> it's true. And I don't have any resentment about it because I am i have a big family. So I'm very glad that that's what happened mm-hmm. or that I was able to break that. But child uh, religion, it did not raise me, but it absolutely influenced my my teenage years mm-hmm. it influenced what i studied in college it almost it also has influenced what i've done to till today because i ended up getting the full ride to divinity school and i was going to go get a theology degree and prove everyone wrong and i decided not to do that i moved here to alabama
0: so like th- this part i didn't know um about your life we've talked many things. welcome We've done th- thank you. Uh we've uh, we've talked Hi. many times. Do you want something to drink? <laughs> I need hold on. I it's not wine, but um, I need to be hydrated because this bitch is thirsty. I also went to divinity school. I also was going to be a um uh, I was gonna have my major in divinities and or uh, my bachelor's in divinities with a specialty in music. So I it, it's crazy, like, you know, it's like every time we talk, I put the dots together a little bit more. I'm like, "That bitch, we're so like, oh my God. Uh, but, but one of the things that it's important it's to mention it's is true. that we always say religion, and yes, religion as a man-made organization, I guess, put it, put organism. I'm going to call it an organism. <laughs> um, it's, it's inherited, inherently evil in my mind. Um, I believe in espiritualidad and believe in that, uh, that there is a higher power, that there are multiple higher powers that are depicted in differently in different uh, cultures around the world, but they are all the same. And as long as you have a contact with your ancestors and with with your spiritualidad, I feel like that should be your church. That's just my way of thinking, because for me, religion was very, um, very harmful and very, and very damaging. Um, and now a lot of my scars and a lot of my, a lot of my trauma comes from um, what you said, you know, you're on, you're not only trying to prove yourself that you can turn straight. You're also trying to prove a church. You're trying to prove a family. You're trying to prove a pastor that you see as a, um, as a male figure in your life. Uh, whether that is your father or not. In my, in my case, it was both because I was in La Iglesia Hispana and I was also Mood. in the American church. So Mood. it was one of those things where I always wanted to prove that, that I was straight. I would love to reconnect with many girls. <laughs> With the many girls, whatever. I wasn't a Casanova, but with the girls that I dated in the past, because it's almost like I want to apologize for using them as a tool to be straight. Um, I remember many, many a time sitting in the bottom of my shower, in the floor of my shower, crying and saying, Why, if you want me to be straight, talking to, to God, to a God, I guess, if you want me to be straight and I want to be straight, why are you not doing it? Why, what is it about me? What is it about, how how broken am I that you are not changing me? And it was every single day, por qué, por qué, por qué, por qué. And now that I'm an adult and I have, you know, go to therapy and figure out what, I'm pulling all these things out of this hat. And I'm like, oh, 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 that's coming from this. Oh, that's coming from that. But religion has such a huge hold in my trauma. And I feel like that's the reality for a lot of Latine queer people that religion just has a hold on a lot of us. And again, I can only speak of Latin a, but I'm sure there's a lot of um, white, los blancos, los gringo, um, that could identify with yeah, that as well. Yeah, but
1: this podcast, but, not for them right now, but <laughs> if they can identify, welcome. Well,
0: great, just sit right if there you and can, <laughs> If
1: you can, I'm sorry.
0: If you can, just go listen to Trixie Mattel's podcast and just leave this one alone. <laughs>
1: You talked about, you talked about, like, almost so like, begging to God, like, I have this history. Why don't you return me to that history? How could you end, how could I end up gay? Like, just turn me back around. Interestingly enough, the moment for me where I finally accepted myself it within the spiritual context was i was dating this girl you know she was a little a little too much for me to handle just like yeah she was a lot you know where you were but going with that.
0: i was like a little a little what a i little was what? dating
1: this girl and i'd met her parents and i liked her parents they were very nice and they were wealthy shit maybe i should stay Ooh, with money. girl but they were this girl existed and i had a dream one night and when I think earlier I said people need to understand that praying the gay away isn't just a moment. It is mm-hmm. a lifestyle. I would even say it's it's a harmful form of meditation. It is meditative because you're yeah. always thinking about it. You're always trying to fill that space and make your mind and behavior match. Because I'm in that, right, I'm in this moment, I'm in this space of every moment is trying to be straight. I had a dream and I was sitting across from my girlfriend's dad and he said to me, I love you just the way you are. And that was it, that was the dream. And that was the moment. Like that was the moment for me where I said, yeah, fuck this shit, I'm a suck dick in the woods. I'm a make-out boy. I thought
0: I thought you were about to say that her dad looked at you and said, "Hola, mucha go." Let's go. No.
1: He, <laughs> he said, "I love you just the way you are." And because so much of prayer and spirituality and I I studied religion in undergrad because so much of people's connection to the spiritual is at minimum meditative
2: mm-hmm.
1: and intentional, there was just something about that moment that I knew was real. I can't explain it. I don't even know if it needs explanation, but it so. set me free yeah. of my dad's expectations of me. And when in college, I, even though throughout, no, let me not lie, in college, I felt comfortable disappointing my parents and I was okay with that. Yeah. And that, yeah, that was one of the catalysts for me. That
0: well dream. this th- that brings us into the next you know question that I have for you it's how did it feel for you to have that queerness freedom? Um, And I know that in a way you were, you know, at the beginning, it's like, like, I'm okay disappointing you because I'm having a lot of fun. Right. Uh, And there is not much guilt. I mean, there is a trauma, but there is not much guilt. Um, So what were the early signs of your queerness, freedom in your life? And how did that how did that come about?
1: Early signs? I think once I broke it to my dad that, you know, he hurt me the way that he did. I felt uh, I felt free. Mm-hmm. In that moment, so I would say that that was the first moment where i I truly felt that I could be myself. I will also say that every moment I can think of growing up, I could not wait to be eighteen so I could move out. So I lived in an incredibly toxic and harmful environment. I am surprised that I am as functioning as I am. Uh, I'm very surprised because every everything was stacked against me, and so, When I think of freedom, it's so much bigger for me than just being queer, because I was also trying to be free of how my parents thought I should be, what kind of time and energy I needed to spend on them. And the thing is, when you freshly come out or when your parents are not accepting, every time you see them is a battle Mm
2: -hmm. of
1: acceptance. And when I stopped fighting for that acceptance, and I just started to do my own thing, they had no choice. But to. every time I saw, they saw me to cherish that moment. So I think when I sent my dad that letter, or that, I guess you could say that writing that I ended up getting an A on, (laughs) I was when I felt free from it. I, because I didn't I didn't, you know, I said earlier, my dad was very supportive when I first came out and trying really hard to connect with me and make me feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. But that didn't last long enough for me to have felt like it was freedom. So for me, it was later. It was later in life. It absolutely was. It was when I was in early college. But now, shit, my dad knows I'm a sex worker, knows I escort, knows that I have multiple partners, all of this stuff. And I think that as my life gets becomes more and more radical and less and less conservative and mm-hmm. less led by expectations of the people around me, I will share that with my dad. And I do so because I know he's not gonna judge me now. And two, because it's going to make it easier for everyone else in my family yeah. to be okay.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. So, I mean, I, I think know. I think that you I'm a played, slut
1: for my siblings. That's pretty much I'm a slut, so my siblings can feel free.
0: <laughs> and it's beautiful that you are being that catalyst, you know, and that um, I think that that also um, shows uh, in your in your organizational organizational work um, <laughs> and in what you do for the community. Um, because I remember, you know, I've seen you. All around town. Um, I mean, not like walking around town, but I've seen you all around. Dang,
1: um, you've seen me all
0: around town. All around town, be I follow well, you. Don't, don't um, tell
1: nobody, because I really have been all around you town. Third
0: Avenue North. Um, but I, I I've seen you all around Birmingham, and not only Birmingham, the United States, fighting for for resources and for what's right in the LGBT community, especially. In the Latine experience. I uh, remember we had a panel at the beginning, well, in the summer of the pandemic, and we talked about the importance of representation in the community. And we talked about how we're never Latino enough, but we're never, we're like, we're never enough. You know, as Latine, we're never enough for, for either world. And how can we change that? And how can we, and, and and listening to you and the passion that you have for the community and the passion that you have for change. And I think one of the words that resonated with me the most that you said is living it radically, living a radical life. Fuck. Like yo quiero hacer eso, you know, coño, quiero vivir una vida radical. Porque if you don't, like, what do you have to show? And what, what, like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm trying to get words because I think you just stunned my brain with that word. And it's such a, in a way, simple word, just radical, but it's just, it's so beautiful and so deep to see that and then hear your story and how much of a pillar you are to your, to your brothers and sisters to be able to be that catalyst for them to be free. I I, I love that. I love that about you. Oh my God. I love that about you.
2: <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.
0: So um, my last part that we talked about was talking about LGBTQIA and the Latinx experience, but I kind of want to rephrase it.
1: Yo, I feel like your question is about what is it like to be Latinx in the LGBTQ community. So you may have had a different experience for me because I don't know when you immigrated to the US. For me, I never had Latinx queer role models. I have had to find those people now. And that is hard. That Mm -hmm. is so hard to find people who understand your Latinidad, to find, understand uh, people who understand your queerness. I think I've, I've gotten either lucky or I just am a bulldozer or a hurricane. And, and I'm going to find the people that I connect with because I'm just going to push everyone else away, which is not necessarily the way I suggest approaching it. <laughs> but I feel like I have by chance found some of those people here Mm -hmm. but I long for queer Latinx folks that are like me yeah because there are two things two things happening in this community in particular there is a vibrant black queer community that has their social spaces Mm -hmm. there is a vibrant white folk community that has their stuff Mm -hmm. but I have yet in my almost five years here in Birmingham to find the Latinx community that has that same queer vibrancy and there have been pockets where people have gathered but there is no no home base there is no home for queer Latinx folks in this city one of my friends who's also the most beautiful person I know, and also a lover, was talking shit about me and was like, you only date white people. And I was like, well, that's not true because you're brown, one. But two, I was like, that's also, that also ignores the fact that part of you, you think that my community with queer Latinx folks in in Birmingham is 100% choice. And you're ignoring that a lot of it is conditioned. Correct. A lot of it is the fact that for me, right, I'm kind of an Americanized Latinx person, and none of these white people that are listening can weaponize that. I will slap you across the face, I swear to God. I am more Americanized than you, Sharon, uh, because I was born in Puerto Rico, one, which is a colony, and two, I was raised in North Carolina, which is the first colony, (laughs) one of the first 13. (laughs) And I learned about queerness within white and black white spaces predominantly. Yeah, right. There, there really is no representation for queer Latinx folks, and there wasn't until that fucking uh, one day at a time. One day at a time, remember the little lesbian Cuban girls. Yes, girl? yes. Uh, I love yeah, that show. Goodness. Here. But here in Birmingham, I have, I, I want to call it a language barrier, but I think it's a cultural barrier. And that is that my romantic language isn't Spanish.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And also I have very little emotional, mental space to explain myself over and over and over again. That I do not want monogamy with you
2: mm-hmm. that does
1: not mean I love you less that does not mean that I cannot commit to you that simply means that my style of relationship is different that and I feel like I have to explain myself over and over to other brown folks here am I, feel I breaking
0: up with me <sighs> hold on I have I to explain my myself <laughs> so much
1: to brown people here and I also feel like there is almost there. There's just this weird thing where, in in my intersections of being a person in the movement of being Latinx of being queer, I've been lately asking my friends, "Do you know anyone else like me in in this work?" And they can't name anyone. Yeah. So it feels kind of lonely, just a little bit, All just a little bit. All around me are a little familiar
0: lonely. faces. Right,
1: a little lonely, but also the fact that like we can't even get a proper Latinx night at Owl's or at the Quest. We can't get, and then the Latinx party spaces be straight. So it's yeah. like, what the fuck? I can't I go you. anywhere. I can't go anywhere because well, for me, can't. like
0: the experience is a little <laughs> bit different because in my intersection drag is one of them. For so long, and I've always said this, when a white queen is a go-getter, when a white queen speaks up her mind or their mind, they they, they just have a drive. But when a brown queen or a queen of color does it, they're abrasive. You know, we're the loud, the loud Latinos or Latinas. Um, we're the angry Latinas. Uh, oh, don't talk about race. Oh, don't do this. And it's, I have experienced that. I've experienced silencing, I've experienced uh, being told no many times, and you you said it, there is no queer Latinx spaces in Birmingham, and when you try to put something on, it just gets shut down by the masses, because they don't it want does. to change, they don't want it to change, does. they want their they spaces don't. the way that they want, so I feel, and this is not an attack to anybody in their indirect, but it's just to me- It can be. I it can
1: but <laughs> maybe on another podcast. But you know, I can name names. But I, we'll, I'm, we'll in, I'm in, I'm we'll in no
0: association. On. I am in no association. I there. know you're no, a performer, right. so you
1: have to stay neutral. Where? I Where? don't perform. <laughs>
0: No, I I just, fuck being neutral, but (laughs) I just don't want to like attack anybody. But my point is, I wish that the spaces that already exist would reach out to, and I'm not talking about reach out to me. This is not about giving, sharing a booking, but reach out to people in the community. They want to make a change to create something different, whether or not it's profitable to you, you are creating a safe space for another part of your community who needs it. But I just wish that this space would recognize that a good percentage of their community is Latine or Latinx, and they need to reach out to these people. I mean, just give me me $50,000 and we'll do it. You and I will do it together.
1: (laughs) Yo, so I want to just, one... I'm really glad that I decided early on to disappoint my parents because there, there there, are two things there, right? The first one is my parents only had one vision for me, go to college. They didn't tell me what to do after because they had no, they didn't know what that meant afterwards. They, They went to high school. I think... Uh, My mom actually dropped out and I think my dad may have dropped out too. So they didn't even uh, graduate. That was all they expected from me. Everything from there on was kind of mine. So I decided to disappoint them maybe consciously, maybe subconsciously around the time when I had already satisfied what they wanted from me, Mm -hmm. except for being straight. And I want to say that I am so tired of and completely uninterested in making the queer scene in birmingham the white one in particular proud i have nothing to prove be disappointed if you want to be because that says more about you and your expectations for me than what i needed for myself and finally and this is vulgar and inappropriate these folks want our dickin they want our loving they want our foreskin, they want mm-hmm. our making out they want our little brown, spicy, whatever the fuck they said. Even though I don't eat spicy, I don't think you eat spicy. <laughs> <No. in Venezuela. laughs> right. They want all of that, but they don't want our voice. They don't want our ideas. They just want our load. They
0: don't want to. They and don't want these people. Either.
1: Right. They don't, they don't want us. They want to use us.
2: Mm-hmm. It
1: makes me think of a paper I wrote in college about how queer Latinos in the porn industry
2: Mm-hmm. are
1: the be- some of the best examples of the disposability of Latinx people in the community. Because what they do is they use you and then they toss you.
0: No, I mean, I think that's profound. And I think that's something that kind of goes back a little bit into trying Sharon. to...
1: Yes. You just said that me saying they don't want us, they don't want our ideas, they just want our load. You said that's profound.
0: I, 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 I think so. Let and the it, record show. <laughs> Let the record okay. show. I'm go. No, I'm I, think, I, I, to reason, I think, and the reason, I think, I don't know, tell me if I'm using profound wrong, but it goes deep in me. Ooh, we also just talked about sex. So, um, <laughs> to me, it's profound because, important, I guess, that's the word that I was trying to use, but because for so long, we we try to to get the approval of our parents, try to get the approval of our church. And then once we get immersed in a white culture, we try to get the approval of the white people. And that is something that I have had to learn. And, and I thank you for saying those words because if you are disappointed in me, I don't give a fuck. I have not said those words out loud because I live in so much fear of disappointment of the masses. And I mean, this is a terapia psicológica, mi amor. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I might, you might have to start charging me for this podcast. I, I, that's why I, could I, never that's do that. I mean it's profound. If I had I think, this
1: conversation with white folks, I would charge them, just so y'all know.
0: <laughs> I, I, I think that's why I use the word profound. Because to me, I have not digged that deep.
1: You know, I didn't mean to get you. But yeah, I think that was that wasn't even for you. That was for them that was for them because we work so hard to make space for ourselves Mm. Mm. and we have to do so every day Mm. so today i was in a call um it was a work call and someone just kept pointing to like my latinidad as like the thing that they wanted from me right they wanted to extract all the information that i had about being latinx and I kept trying to reinforce to them that that is not the only thing that I represent. That is not the only knowledge that I carry. Those aren't the only skills that I carry. And it's so frustrating because at every waking moment, that's what it's like. Yeah, that's what it's like. Well, um,
0: I'm out of breath. Um, <laughs> muchas gracias. Muchas gracias por venir. I you really do you. appreciate it. I enjoy talking to you every single time we get the chance to do so because <laughs> um, it's important. And I think that. We we both see ourselves in a community that does not have the space for, for our Latinidad. And maybe we can start it with just the two of us tucking. Tucking, tucking, got it? Look who's tucking.
1: <laughs> ah, I got it. And it's funny because it sounds like talking with a Spanish accent.
0: Look who's talking. Just, just tucking. <laughs> tucking. Well, thank you so much for coming. <laughs> I appreciate you. Tell everybody where they can find you if you want them to find you.
1: I don't want them. No, I'm kidding. So my Instagram is uh, Gabri, G-A-B-R-I underscore Samu, S-A-M-U. That's my Instagram, and that's pretty much it. I don't have Facebook. I got off of there because it's toxic.
0: (laughs) Somehow I'm still on it. Well, gracias, mi amor. Un besito. Y ya que llegamos al end del podcast, remember Um, to um, let us know what you would like to talk about. Let me know what topics you would like to hear in future episodes. You can email me at Who's tuckin at gmail.com and I'll be sure to tuck about what you want to hear. <laughs>